You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, I want to invite Paul up. Paul was a part of the mission trip. Uh, we just finished up this last week over at the Navajo Nation. So Paul, uh, join us up here, if you will. Come on all the way up here. And uh, good morning. So, so thanks for being a part again. And if you didn't know, Paul's on base, so he's holding it down for us and doing a great job. So thank you for doing that. No so tell us about how the trip went. So it all started Friday morning. We all met here on campus, and uh, myself and 16 others, we all kind of piled up our materials, trucks and trailers, and we took the long trek up to the Navajo Nation. Um, once we got there, there was no rest. We got straight to work, and uh, I think we worked till about 7.30 that evening and made great headway So day on the one, project. you went straight to work? Straight to work. Wow. Got to go straight to work. There you go. Keep going. <laughs> So while I was there, um, God kind of put a scripture on my heart, and uh, I wanted to share that with you guys today. And it's 1 Peter 4.10, and it reads, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And uh, that brought me into some time to uh, really reflect on my past and uh, realize how many people had used their gift to bless me and my family throughout, you know, throughout my past. And it was really kind of a, an eye-opener to realize how far God has brought me to actually be the one now to be able to share the gifts that God has given me to serve others. Yeah. So just a beautiful thing. That's awesome. You guys give him a big round of applause. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for Paul. Thank you for the many other men that went on the trip and uh, just to share and show the love of Christ through service and Lord, we give you thanks for the work you're doing in and through our church, all those that are giving and serving to help make a difference. It makes a big difference. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. All right, give Paul another round of applause. That was fun. Yeah. Well, hey, this morning, before we get started, uh, I wanted to just recognize a couple of things. We're kicking off, uh, the schools are going back into session. So for all of you teachers that are a part of our church, we actually have a special gift for you. We have a little... Um, little coffee gift card. Uh, so I want to encourage you before you leave here today, stop by the Connection Corner. Um, next week, we'll give them out as well. Kaylee, if you'll help me remember that, next week we'll give them out as well. So if you've got teacher friends and want to invite some teachers, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, so we just want to say thank you for your hard work. We know it's, uh, you're investing in the lives of students, and we really appreciate that at this church. Um, additionally, I want to remind you next week we're starting that new series on marriage and parenting. It's called Unapologetic and a Truth About Marriage and Parenting. That'll be a great series for folks to be a part of, so make sure you invite some friends for that. Um, my wife will be a part of that series at some point in time. She's always the best part, so um, don't miss it. We'd love to have you a part of all of uh, each and every Sunday. We'll jump back into the Gospel of John after that, um, but next week we're going to do that. Um, last week, I'd mentioned to you as well about um, sending out kind of a parent guide that we'd put together for those of you that got kids in the public school system. If you've been around a little while, you know that I've addressed some concerns that I've had, and I know many of you have, um, with some of the issues that are going on in the public education sphere. Um, some of that is um, from a federal push, some to a state push. Um, and I think we do have a pretty strong conservative uh, district overall, Deer Valley Unified School District, and we got some great teachers in our church, um, but it's a tough system. And so um, I'm grateful for what Governor Ducey has done. I think that's a great uh, a step forward to give more freedom 
and personal ownership on how you use your money. And uh, so I love that. I'm grateful for that. Uh, but if you want a, a guide for kind of helping assimilate your kid or maybe that would help you ask some questions to pa- uh, teachers, uh, I want to encourage you to sign up with Kaylee over at the Connection Corner after service and we'll send you that guide that we created uh, for you. So we want to help encourage and equip parents to be the p- parents and the pastors, if you will, over their kids. Um, so let me pray for us and then we're going to jump into... Uh, wrapping up the first seven chapters of the Gospel of John, which we've been in for almost 40 weeks. So uh, with multiple series, uh, but the same Gospel of John. So let's pray today. Lord, you're good. Thank you for your word. It's always good for us. Uh, Lord, today we come forward and I pray that we would have a spirit of humility uh, to say we need you, Jesus. We need you to speak uh, through your word to us. Uh, We pray that we would learn Uh, that we would grow in our faith and in our journey. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. This is a journey. The Christian life is a journey. It's the best journey. The Christian life's not a destination. You're at all different phases of your faith. Today, we're going to talk about three phases of faith in your Christian journey. I'm going to do a character study on the life and the person of Nicodemus, a man who shows up in the pages of Scripture in the Gospel of John. And then we're going to look at some, uh, how he's uh, seen in history um, and his in- involvement with Jesus and then even church history. And then we're going to look at these three phases of faith that I think all of us uh, can relate to. So if you've got a Bible, I want to ask you to just open it up just for a moment. I'm going to give you a quick overview of where we've been. Uh, John chapter 1, you can pull out your smart device, your smartphone, and I'm just going to review with you where we've been uh, in the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 1, we got the very beginning when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, uh, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Uh, So what does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ was involved in all of the creation. So when you go and you're standing at the edge of a powerful canyon and you see the trees and the forest and the river and the lakes, you can say, thank you, Jesus. He's the one who created everything. He created you. He created me. He created mankind. He created the entire universe. Colossians tells us that in him all things hold together, the stars, the moons, the galaxies, everything. Jesus has uh, this builder skill. Uh, Later in life, he will uh, be assumed to be a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter, but Jesus has always been into carpentry, building things. Uh, We also learn in John chapter 1 that Jesus is pre-incarnate, meaning that he existed before his incarnation. You know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Okay, let's make sure we got that. Jesus was born in? He was, but he always existed. And so he didn't begin in Bethlehem. He took on human flesh in Bethlehem. John tells us this. And so um, this affirms the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus gets baptized by a fellow named John the Baptist, crazy wild uh, preacher, teacher, baptizes him. This is why we do baptism by immersion uh, on Sundays because Jesus himself identified with that. Uh, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, and he's looking to Jesus as the fulfillment of scriptures, that he's the Messiah. So... John, the Gospel of John, sets us off on a journey. 
introduces to us John chapter 1, that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's always existed. Then we see Jesus calls his disciples in John 1. Then in John chapter 2, whoo, he shows up at a wedding and everybody runs out of wine. And Jesus does something really crazy cool. He performs a miracle just to serve people. And uh, we see there, I think that we can biblically, theologically affirm that Jesus affirms the institution of marriage between one man and one woman. In the early pages of scripture, we get Jesus showing up, doing his first miracle at a wedding. Then he cleanses the temple. He runs uh, the crooked and the corrupt out of the temple. Jesus is in the back. He's braiding a whip. He sees all the, uh, the, the corruption that's going on. If we had a guy braiding a whip in the middle of our church services, our, our security would probably catch you. Uh, but they didn't catch Jesus. Uh, he whipped that thing up fast and started driving people out of there. Uh, we get introduced to the strength of Jesus Christ. We see how powerful he is in John chapter 1, John chapter 2. John chapter 3, he meets a guy by the name of Nicodemus. There you go. And in the middle of the night, uh, Nicodemus arranges his meeting for Jesus to show up and wants to talk to him about what does it mean to be born again. Uh, John chapter 4, we find Jesus meeting the woman at the well. Remember that? Uh, she's coming and she's thirsty. And then Jesus says, I got something that will, you will never have to thirst again. And she's like, okay, I'd like that. That'd be great. I got to go tell my man. And she's like, uh, Jesus is like, not just your man. You've, been, you've had a lot of different men. Uh, she had been sleeping around with a bunch of different men. She was looking for the right relationship to make her life whole. And Jesus was that only one that could fill that spot. Jesus is introduced to us that he loves Samaritans. He loves the outcasts. He loves the people that seem unforgivable. This is Jesus. Uh, he's the one who's uh, being demonstrated. We're seeing through the gospel, John's writing, John chapter five. We see that Jesus heals a man that's been sick for a very, very long time. He heals the man of the pool of Bethesda. He's been sick for a long time. And at that moment, when he heals that guy on the Sabbath, the Pharisees decide we're going to kill this guy because he performed a miracle on our Sabbath. Uh, Jesus claims he's equal with God in John chapter 5 and then continues in John chapter 6. He demonstrates the power of God in and through his life when he, multitudes, crowds are following him everywhere. It's a journey. Uh, he performs a miracle. He takes a couple of loaves of bread and some fish, and he feeds the multitudes. And then after he feeds everybody, he says, I got a sermon for you. He says, I'm the bread of life. This is Jesus. And then continuing on in chapter 6 and moving on to chapter 7, we see that this is the Feast of Booth. This is the, the greatest festival ever. Uh, this is a massive festival. Jesus' brothers and sisters are like, hey, you got to come to this festival. It's going to be awesome. Jesus says, no, I'm not going with you. And in the middle of a week-long festival, Jesus shows up. Uh, it's, a, it's a festival that would commemorate and help everybody remember how they were delivered out of Egypt, that they were uh, freed from captivity, that God is a provider. He's a deliverer. And this festival was a, a great celebration. Jesus shows up in the middle of the festival. The priest is getting ready to pour out the water on the altar to help everybody remember, perhaps, that uh, as Moses struck the rock and water came out of the rock and it provided, again, sustenance and life for everybody back in the days of the Exodus, Jesus stands in front of the high priest and says, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me. 
Everybody in the room says, oh my goodness, what did Jesus just do? Because he was doing that and standing in front of the high priest, he's assuming all authority, all leadership. He stands up when most rabbis would sit down. He does everything backwards to them and he's proclaiming himself Messiah. Now, everybody that did not like Jesus is ready to kill Jesus. Those that were on the fence and thinking Jesus might be the Messiah are like, he is the Messiah. He has no bones or beef about it. He told everybody. So here's where we pick up in John chapter 7. We're going to meet a man by the name of Nicodemus. Um, and I'm going to sh uh, remind you, uh, first I want to back up though and show you, remember, we're going to meet Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the guy in the middle of this feast and festival Everybody seeks after to arrest Jesus and get him crucified. Nicodemus stands up and says, wait, 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 don't do it. Uh, let's, let's think about this before we move forward. Nicodemus is the man I want to introduce you to today because I think he represents journey. We see him in John chapter 3. He does this incredible interview with Jesus. Let me show you a video to remind you and spark your memory about Nicodemus. How can these things be? Ah, I teach you of Israel and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind? How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. <sighs> Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert. And people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. 
God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Jesus constantly profounded the wise. He was, uh, in John chapter 12 tells us that people basically from all over the world were seeking him out. Uh, he was so controversial. This is a uh, Jewish scholar who's meeting with him. The gentleman's name is Nicodemus. His name is only recorded three times in the New Testament, and all three are in the book, uh, the Gospel of John, which we're reading. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Nicodemus and how he interacted with Jesus and how he grew in his journey of faith. And I believe what we'll see at the end of it is that Nicodemus is a great uh, person for us to look at and see how we grow in our faith in all three phases of faith. So number one, the question is, is what was Nicodemus's relationship to Jesus Christ. I think what we see is, number one, Nicodemus, obviously, he interviewed Jesus Christ. Uh, historians all agree that he had this interview. Uh, the Chosen video series captured that in the evening. I thought that would be helpful for you to kind of lock in your mind um, Nicodemus's inquiries. Uh, specifically, G uh, Nicodemus was taught about the doctrine of a regeneration. That means is, what does it mean to be born again? Um, Jesus also gave Nicodemus the, that famous passage, John 3.16. Help me say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, that's the Bible verse we'll see at the stadiums on the, uh, in the football games in the coming uh, weeks ahead. And so uh, this passage was first presented to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus does an interview with Jesus. He's a, a, a Pharisee. He's a, up, uh, the educated, the elite. How many of you know some really, really smart religious people? Would you raise your hand? You're like, I know Pastor Ryan. No, that don't count. I'm not that smart. Um, uh, but uh, if you know somebody really smart, like you kind of want to go to them and, and uh, Jesus is far more uh, 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 theologically sound. Uh, his name is being sought out. And Nicodemus, a leader, the educated, the elite, wants to meet with Jesus. He was also uh, likely part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was kind of a governing group within the, the, the Jews. And they basically had the monopoly on the scriptures. So whatever you wanted to know about the Bible, specifically the Old Testament at that time, the Torah, the Sanhedrin kind of had the monopoly on it. So here he is asking questions, and Jesus kind of pushes back and be like, you're, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher, you should know this stuff. Um, he interviews Jesus. Jesus teaches him about what it means to be born again. Secondly, Nicodemus defends Jesus. Uh, and this is what we're going to look at today. Uh, we're going to discover that Nicodemus uh, is going to stand up for Jesus Christ when other people are ready to put him to death. Nicodemus is going to tell his fellow Pharisee friends and Sanhedrin buddies, uh, wait, uh, let's not do this. 
So let's look what happens. Uh, John chapter 7, verses 45 through 52, this is where we're closing out today in this series of John chapter 7. Um, Here's the passage. It says in verse 45 that the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? Let me pause for a moment. Um, Jesus has declared that he's the river of life. Jesus declared that he was the Messiah in a sense. The Pharisees get deeply offended. They send temple police to go arrest Jesus. Uh, They show, they find Jesus wherever he is, wherever he's teaching. And they're actually, they're supposed to arrest him and bring him in. So the temple guards show up and the chief priests and the Pharisees are like, where's Jesus? You you left, but you didn't bring him in. Why didn't you bring him in? Here's what the officers said. The officers answered, "Uh, no one ever spoke like this man. In other words, literally, I think this is what happened. They walked in with the plan to arrest him. Like, we're going to get that guy. That's our guy. That's our guy. Let's get him. One of the guys is like, wait, let's just listen to what he has to say. Then all of a sudden, Jesus is teaching, and they're like, wow, this is powerful. Is this good stuff? This is good stuff. You ever been to a church service before? You're like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then before you leave, you're like, man, I I love that place. I want to be there. This is what happened to these officers. Something happened. They went to arrest Jesus, and they got arrested by the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. The officers come back empty-handed. They say in a more literal translation would be like, no one humanly could speak like this. In other words, he's divine. Verse 47, the Pharisees answered uh, them, have you also been deceived? So the Pharisees aren't putting up with it. They're like, are you kidding me? Are, are, you, are you dumb? Did, did you get lied to? Are you also one of the ones that believes in this stuff? Verse 48, they point to the authorities in the temple. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, like nobody else on our team believes in Jesus. Why are you uh, acting like you should? Verse 49, uh, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. In other words, that the crowd is uh, ignorant, uneducated. They don't really understand who Jesus is. Uh, In verse 50, and then we have Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, one of the Pharisees, said to them, the Pharisees, verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? In other words, Nicodemus pumps the brakes. And he says, you can't just go arrest somebody like, and throw them in prison and have them uh, put to death illegally. We've got a fair trial. Under Mosaic law, the Jewish folks had to literally go through a due process of diligence to show that the person was either innocent or guilty. But what's going on here? They're actually enraged and they're blurred with anger. Have you ever been there before where you're so angry about something, you're just not very logical? You know what I'm saying? You get angry and you're not even rational anymore. Um, That's where these individuals are. Uh, They replied, uh, verse 52, uh, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Uh, They're talking to Nicodemus. Uh, Galilee is where Jesus spent much of his life, but Jesus was not 
actually from Galilee. He was born in Bethlehem, help me out. And he lived in Galilee. So they're actually confused. They're, they're not paying attention. Um, they're supposed to be the ones that are smart, but they're not so smart. Um, John points that out. Good humor, John. Uh, search, and then he says, search and see that no prophets arises from Galilee. Uh, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. In other words, what they're saying is the scriptures tell us that no prophet of significance would ever rise from Galilee, which is actually wrong again, because Jonah came from Galilee, Nahum came from Galilee, and many people think Elijah came from Galilee. So these folks, it's ironic, uh, they are totally uh, uh, confused. So what do we see? What we see is that Nicodemus takes a stand for Jesus. He defends Jesus Christ strategically by relying and pointing to the Jewish law. Um, his name actually means innocent of blood. Uh, he's somebody who's a defender. Um, many of you are defenders. You try to uh, do what's right. And uh, Nicodemus sets a great example for us in this. Um, number three, we're going to see Nicodemus and his relationship to Jesus is this. His name picks back up in John chapter 19, verses 39 through 42. Nicodemus is the one and the only who buries Jesus. Uh, he buries Jesus actually with another man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. If you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there. And uh, if not, I'll just read it to you and you can hear. But this is after the death of Jesus Christ. Remember, Nicodemus is only mentioned three different times in the Bible, three times in the Gospel of John. John wants us to know the journey of Nicodemus. So what happens with Nicodemus? Uh, well, remember, first, he's the one who's in interviewing Jesus. Second, he's the one who's defending Jesus. Now, he's the one who's burying Jesus. It says in verse 38, after these things, these things refer to the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, and so he came and he took away his body. Verse 39, Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the custom of the Jews. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one yet had been lain. Uh, so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. I find this unique because um, for the Bible tells us that uh, basically they go to Pilate, uh, who has incredible political power. He, they go to the highest man on the food chain, and they ask for the retrieval of Jesus's body. Unless you're a diehard believer in Jesus Christ, you don't need a dead body. Nicodemus is sold out, believes in Jesus Christ, and he's got probably such a conviction because he watched Jesus Christ do all the miracles, and then he watches his friends crucify him and stands there in the shadows, perhaps with guilt and remorse, thinking, I should have done more. The journey of Nicodemus, powerful Nicodemus in church history, let me tell you about him. How, has people, how have people looked at Nicodemus throughout church history? 
Well, sources outside of the Bible tells us within church tradition that Nicodemus actually... um, that moment when he went to retrieve the body of Jesus Christ in burial, something internally happened and he believed in Jesus Christ as Lord. Church tradition has it, that word got out, the Pharisees kick him out, they start persecuting he and his family. He loses all his positions within the Sanhedrin. He's actually banned from even entering Jerusalem. He's Jerusalem's most wanted on every poster around town. If you see this man, take him out. That is Nicodemus. That's what he gets for following Jesus Christ. Church tradition tells us as well that uh, Nicodemus will later be baptized by the Apostle John. The Apostle that we're reading about who's telling us the story. Church tradition tells us additionally that uh, even in the Eastern Orthodox, the Catholic churches, they hail him as a saint. Uh, some modern Christians continue to call him a hero for, for defending Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus is somebody that we ought to look to to understand uh, these phases of faith. Uh, secondly, I want to remind you in church history, how about the Protestant Reformation? In the 15th and the 16th century, how did the church Christians look at the life of Nicodemus? Um, Martin Luther uh, was the catalytic uh, leader for the uh, Reformation. Remember, up until the time of the Reformation, the Protestant church and the Catholic church, it was one church. Then you get the reformer, Martin Luther, who's protesting against the Catholic church, saying we need scripture in every language. Just what had happened in the nation of Israel as the Sanhedrin held the monopoly on scripture, so did the Catholic church in in that time frame. Martin Luther says scriptures for everybody. Then guess what happens? If you become Christian, you become a Protestant. Guess what happens? The Catholics were persecuting the Christians. To be a Christian back in the 14th, 15th century meant you could get persecuted and killed by Catholics. It's not good. So what happened? What happened was a lot of Christians went quiet. They kind of hid They were closet Christians. And John Calvin in 1509 to 1564 apparently coined the term called the Nicodemite. Nicodemite. What is a Nicodemite? A Nicodemite is somebody who in that time frame was in a sense, they were Christians, but they were acting Catholic because they didn't want to get persecuted. And it's referring back to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was in a sense a follower of Jesus Christ, but he didn't want anybody to know. He's kind of afraid about the persecution. Notable Nicodemites were Thomas Kramer. He was the first Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury under King Henry of England. Another one was Sir Isaac Newton, and the most famous Nicodemite was Michelangelo, the guy who painted the Sistine Chapel. So what can we learn about the, 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 the life of Nicodemus? Let me tell you, um, Nicodemus had a huge influence in the lives of believers all throughout time, not just back in the church reformation, but how about fast forward back to the time of post-Civil War. After the Civil War, the atrocities of slavery were still in effect throughout various parts of the country. Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation was incredible and great. However, it was not felt by thousands and thousands, perhaps millions of slaves. Slave owners, what they said is this, is that uh, you cannot access the Bible. Again, look what happens. 
Take the Bible away from them. Take it away from them. That's what the Pharisees and Sanhedrin did. That's what the Catholic Church did during the Reformation. That's what the slave owners were doing back in the post-Civil War era. Take the Bible away from them. Why? Because the very essence of personal dignity, value, and worth, the Imago Dei, the doctrine that everybody's created equal in God's image and deserves dignity, value, worth, and respect, were all throughout the Scripture, and personal freedom was all woven through here. And the slaves, you know what they did? They would secretly meet in the middle of the night, just like Nicodemus. And they would study the scriptures and they would pray and they would worship. And Nicodemus to them was a hero of somebody who wanted to seek out truth and was willing to die for that truth. So today, I ask you, uh, what phase of faith are you in? Because Nicodemus gives us three phases The first phase of faith that he was in was, I would call, a curious faith. You ever been there before in the beginning of your Christian journey or your orientation to the church where it's like you're really curious about the claims of Jesus Christ, but you're not committed. You're just curious. You would never say, I'm a Christian wholeheartedly. You would say, well, I want to know more. Uh, This is where Nicodemus was at. Uh, when you explore the claims of Jesus Christ and the, and the faith of, that Jesus Christ offers, perhaps you're in that phase of the curious faith. I don't think this is a saving faith, perhaps, but it's some kind of belief that you are interested enough that you really do want to know more. I think that's where we found Nicodemus on that rooftop uh, is asking questions. You may be in the curious faith phase if these describe you. You genuinely desire to know about Jesus, but you're still afraid. You're a little concerned what people may think about you if they knew you were a Christian. You do have a lot of questions about the Bible, but you don't want people seeing you with the Bible. You are are excited about your church, but you don't want people to know you go to church. You find yourself thinking about faith issues more than ever in your life but you're not bold enough to talk about it out loud. You're timid about your interest in the Christian faith. You wrestle more now than ever about faith in Jesus Christ. You seek to learn. You're seeking other people out that are really smart about the Christian faith, and you want to get to know them. And you start praying more. If that sounds like you, you're in that curious faith phase. And I think these phases build on the other. Here's the second phase that we see. The second phase of faith is a committed faith. Uh, It builds on the curiosity. But at some point, you move from just living in that curious faith and you make a commitment to Jesus Christ if you're a follower. Amen? Let's try that again. Um, Sometimes when when you graduate from the level or the phase of the curious faith, you graduate to the level of the commitment faith and you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? There you go. So... You, you do got to make a commitment. Like, God is after you, drawing you to himself, but the Bible's filled with it. How many invitations does Jesus have to give? He says it over and over. Come to me, all you are weary. Uh, if you're thirsty, come to me. There's a commitment point. Oh, where was that with Nicodemus? Uh, some people would say they thought it was perhaps um, when he defended Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin, I would disagree. I don't think it was there because Jesus, I mean, Nicodemus really didn't put his neck on the line fully. What would have shown me his commitment would be this. 
That is the Messiah. That is Jesus Christ. But no, here's what he does. Our law says that we shouldn't do this. And so, but for you, how about you? Maybe you're at this uh, phase of your faith where you're committed. Maybe this sounds like you. You're committed to grow in your faith and your knowledge of God. You read the Bible regularly. You're willing to actually defend your faith even when it's hard. You're willing to speak up at some level about Jesus and your church. You regularly attend church. You're increasingly aware of your sin and your shortcomings. It's a commitment of faith. You seek to live a life of holiness. Your convictions are starting to change and conform more to the truths you find in Scripture. You're seeking to serve people. You're starting to give financially. You're starting to share your faith with other people. That's a lifestyle, a phase of your faith that's committed. We've got a lot of committed folks in their faith here, and I'm very proud of you for doing that. Um, these phases build on one another. You never lose all your curiosity. They just build on one another. You go to the next level and you stay curious, but now you're committed. You ask questions, but now you find answers. Jesus says, knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. You're just committed. And then uh, lastly, I would say there's the phase of the contributing faith. This is the most powerful. This is the most influential. This is why I believe we will see Nicodemus in heaven. Uh, he's a contributor. Where do we find Nicodemus making a contribution? At the burial of Jesus Christ. He shows up what would have been the equivalent of a burial for a king. Because he believed that wasn't just any man, that was King Jesus. And perhaps he felt the magnitude of mercy that Jesus kept inviting him in. And then he wants to do everything in his power to show Jesus the honor and the worth that he deserves. Uh, he gives him a burial uh, fitted for a king. This demonstrates his wealth, Nicodemus's wealth and his influence. Uh, he risks everything by going to Pilate and asking for the body of Jesus. But maybe you're in this phase now. You're in a season of life where you generously contribute to share and show the love of Christ. That's what makes, that's how uh, we started the church. We got a few folks that were real excited to share and show the love of Jesus Christ that actually had the idea that it would be powerful and wonderful if we gave our lives away uh, to serve and to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, this September or October, we're going to celebrate a 10-year anniversary, our 10-year birthday of the church. We're inviting a lot of friends and family uh, to come and be a part of that from all over. Uh, I want to encourage you to do that but they all made that commitment. They were contributors. Many of you are that. This may be you that you're contributing. You're in that third phase. Stay there. Maybe you generously contribute towards church missions. You love giving towards missions. Maybe you're sharing your faith more regularly with lost people. Maybe you're not afraid to be offensive and you're okay with the tensions. Maybe you're serving in the local church no matter how big or small the need is. Maybe you're honestly finding more joy that when Jesus was said to have said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. If that's you, you're, you're, you're likely in that contributing faith phase. 
That's the most powerful, the most influential. That's where you start realizing that it's not all about us. It's about him. And we're just a vessel. We're a tool. We're a kid in his kingdom. We're a servant to the king. And our life is, is more counted by what we leave behind than what we try to take with us. Maybe you're investing in the lives of other Christians that need help right now. Maybe you're investing in the lives of young boys or young kids. Maybe you're caring more about investing in your marriage and making it better and being a greater contributor to your church. Maybe you're constantly learning about how you can increase your leadership and your service to others. Maybe you care about leaving a Christian legacy into the lives of others. Maybe you're sought out from, men, from other people as a mentor or a counselor. If people are coming to you and say, will you help me? That's an honor. What they're saying is, you've got something to give and I want to learn. Maybe you're, you're regularly planning your life all around, how can I help make a difference? I want to share with you a story about somebody that made a big difference. And there's a lot of folks that made a difference. I want to especially <clears throat> thank the North Valley Kids Volunteers. I want to thank all the North Valley Students Volunteers, our guest services, our worship team. You guys are serving and making a difference. Thank you to our, our men and women that have served on mission trips. Let's thank them for making a big difference. Let me personalize it. Uh, my son, Sam, he's 17 years old. I've got a beautiful, wonderful daughter too, Riley. She's 17. They're gearing up. They're going to do their senior year. They're going to college. I'm real proud of them. Um, but this is a, a handwritten note from one of the leaders in Sam's life. <clears throat> he says this. Uh, he's the scout leader for Sam. He says, Ryan, I just wanted to tell you what a fine young man you have in your son, Sam. Sam is an awesome, amazing scout. He's fun and funny and smart. He gets all that from his dad. He's fun, funny, and smart, hardworking, patient, and mature beyond his years. That's my wife. Uh, Sam is truly a blessing to all that spend time with him. Well done raising such a fine young man. I don't want to draw attention to Sam. I want to draw attention to Gene. Gene is a scout leader. He's a scout master. He's done it for a decade or two. He lives up in a uh, carefree area. He launched a, a scout group uh, up in the Anthem area in a very difficult season and time. If you don't know, the, scouts, the Boy Scouts of America have gone through a lot of changes. I was pretty uh, skeptical to see how I could entrust my young boy with a, a group that I think had faced a lot of public uh, controversy, and I didn't know the magnitude of this man's character, Gene Neal, until I spent time with him. And then I realized this is a great godly man. And what Gene did is he invested when there was nothing in return for him, really. Nobody was paying him. Nobody was coming along and patting his back and saying, thank you. He just invested, invested, invested. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's why. Because he knows there's a great joy in being a contributor of life and not simply a taker in life. And so what he did was he made a huge eternal difference. I'm going to form a, a manhood ceremony for my son when he graduates his, his senior year. I'm going to have a number of men there to affirm him, encourage him, and Gene Neal will probably be sitting at the head of the table. 
And Gene will stand up again and challenge him and say, I'm proud of you. You're living like a godly man. Um, we need more genes. We need more genettes. We need men and women that say, I want to give my life away to make a difference. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truthfulness of your word. Thank you for the journey that we see in the life of Nicodemus from curiosity to commitment to contribution. And Lord, I pray we'd never lose our curiosity, we'd never lose our commitment, and we'd always seek to make a contribution for the good of all people and the glory of God. Everybody said, amen. Hey, we're going to continue to worship. I want to thank all of you that are contributing financially to our church. There's four ways you can give here. If you've not yet given, I want to encourage you to do that. Help us uh, finish out uh, our calendar year and ramp up our ministry year through giving and serving. So thank you so much for being a part. Uh, we're going to stand in worship. If you Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.